for our message this evening, I want to spend almost equal parts in prayer and reflecting on prayer. We come to the end of this series on the Lord's Prayer to the doxology. If you've ever listened to or sung the most popular, most common version of the Lord's Prayer, the one written by Albert Hay Malott in 1935, recorded by everyone from Elvis Presley to Susan Boyle to Andrea Bocelli. I know you often put the three of them together. You, you, you can hear the beginning, which starts very soft, almost in a whisper. Our Father, I won't sing it. It gets a little louder. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then it settles into a comforting lilt for several phrases on earth as it is in heaven. And the piano plays underneath and then the voice comes back in. The second half of the song builds and builds until finally it explodes into the doxology and the notes get higher and louder and the song crescendos with forever, you know, you know, you can sing it, forever. And then it ends with a slow, stately, amen. The musical score especially when sung well, focuses your attention on the kingdom and the power and the glory that belongs to God forever and ever. And there's something very fitting about this emphasis. It reminds us to whom we are praying, reminds us what we are praying about, and it gives us confidence in praying. What I like about the music, even if I suppose someone could say it is a little melodramatic, is that it reinforces, yes, this, this prayer is going to make it to the throne. You can count on it. God will hear it. God will answer. You may have heard me say before, as odd as it sounds, one of my biggest challenges in prayer is remembering that I'm actually praying Maybe that's somewhat a danger in particular for a pastor, but I think many of you can relate. We forget that we're not just giving a nice-sounding religious soliloquy. We're, we're not just checking the box for our morning or our family or our bedtime devotions. We're actually speaking to the God of the universe, and he hears us. However weak our faith may be, God hears us for Jesus' sake. And the traditional ending of the Lord's Prayer helps to lift our petitions into heaven where God surely will hear them and then he will respond with mercy and with might because to him belong the kingdom and the power and the glory. One of the other benefits of the traditional ending is that it nicely bookends the Lord's Prayer. It teaches us that prayer begins and ends with the glory of God as our chief concern. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's how it begins and then it ends, for yours is the glory. It expresses confidence in God that he can do all we ask and that he is all we need 
It gives voice to our belief that though the world, the flesh, and the devil may assault us, they will by no means have the final victory. Our Father in heaven is stronger than the strong man. All perfection belongs to God and God alone. He is a mighty and generous king, a powerful potentate, a glorious father without beginning and end. That's what we're reminded of. And then, don't miss, as we have said the prayer hundreds and in your life, perhaps thousands of times, that following that acclamation of God's glory, we seal our prayer with that little word, amen. Or if you want to sound very proper, amen. I told you before that after we had, we lived in England for two months, went to a lot of Anglican churches and very fine sounding prayers and would end. And by the end of it, one of my little daughters said, why do they always end their prayers with all men? Why don't they ever say all women? Sounds like that. I had a friend in college who in an act of quasi-rebellion decided that he would end all of his prayers Yes, uh, this was not the 70s, it was the late 90s, but he said he, he thought he would end all of his prayers with the word groovy instead of amen. And he thought it was rather clever. I thought it was rather annoying. But his thinking was, well, it's just a word. It's just sort of Christianese for period, open your eyes. And so why not say groovy as well as Amen. But of course, more than being rather antiquated and annoying, it's not very biblically accurate because amen is not just a spiritual word for period. Amen means yes, truly, so shall it be. Revelation 3.14 says Jesus Christ is the amen, the faithful and true witness In Christ, we pray the Lord's Prayer with complete agreement, confidence, and hope. I wonder how often you think of that when you get to the end of your prayer. You just sort of say, amen, but you're saying, amen, so shall it be. God hears me and he will listen. The words of the doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer provide a wonderful ending. And yet especially if you have your Bibles open to Matthew 6, you're saying, well, that's all very nice, but is it actually in the Bible? And the quick answer to that is yes and no. If you have the ESV, you see that footnote there, some manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. It won't be there in the ESV. It's not there in the NIV, the Christian Standard Version. It's not in most recent translations. It is in the King James Version, which is why many of us grew up saying it, and even those of us who didn't grow up with the King James Version still is passed on the, the thy and the thine and the traditional doxology. There is good reason you don't see it in Matthew 6 in newer English versions. It's because the oldest and most important biblical manuscripts, the complete manuscripts that date back to the fourth century, do not have the final doxology in them. It does not appear in the Latin Vulgate either. Likewise, church fathers like Tertullian, Cyprian, Origen, Augustine do not show familiarity with the ending. 
On the other hand, the Greek father, Chrysostom, comments on it in his sermon on the Lord's Prayer. The doxology is found in many ancient Greek manuscripts as well as in Syriac, Coptic, and other Latin translations. So the doxology is clearly ancient, but the best and oldest manuscripts, ones that the King James Version was not based on but later became part of the manuscript tradition that we have now, don't have the traditional ending, which is why you don't find it in your newer English translations. So are we wrong then, all of these years and during this whole series and at the end of this evening, to conclude with the doxology? No, certainly not. We're right to include it. Why? Well, for starters, we know that the doxology was used with the Lord's Prayer from the earliest days of the church. We can't be positive one way or another, uh, whether it was on the lips of Jesus when he taught the disciples to pray, but it was there very early in the church. You may remember weeks ago I mentioned the early church constitution manual called the Didache, just about the oldest complete document we have outside of the New Testament for the early church, dates to the first century. The Didache called on Christians to recite the Lord's Prayer three times a day, and in giving the prayer to recite, the Didache includes, quote, yours is the power and the glory forever. So it's there in the Didache. In chapter 19 of that document, the same doxology is used in what appears to be a congregational response for the Lord's Supper liturgy. And so it's quite possible that one of the original uses for the ending of the Lord's Prayer was a kind of call and response. And perhaps the the pastor would be reading and that doxology was the response from the congregation. Moreover, in using the traditional ending, we aren't adding any ideas that weren't already present in the Lord's Prayer. The second petition mentions the kingdom. The third petition implicitly calls on God's power that we might do his will on earth as in heaven. And the first petition asks that God's name would be set apart and glorified in all the earth. So the concluding acclamation of kingdom and power and glory, those three elements have already been present in the Lord's prayer. It's certainly not wrong to add them again. The most important reason why it is appropriate to use the traditional doxology is because it has its origins in the Bible. If not in Matthew 6, then in the Old Testament. That's why I answered the question, is it in the Bible, with yes and no. It may not be in the most reliable manuscripts for Matthew 6, but it is in the Old Testament. Just turn for a moment to 1 Chronicles 29, if you haven't seen this before. You can hear very plainly the same language that we say at the end of the Lord's Prayer comes directly from David's prayer here in the assembly after the offerings for the building of the temple had been collected. First Chronicles 29, that's the last chapter in First Chronicles, look at verse 10. Therefore, David blessed the Lord... In the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. 
Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. It's a tremendous prayer that David offers. And it's easy to see how the doxology of the Lord's Prayer comes directly from these phrases in David's prayer. You can think of the traditional ending of the Lord's Prayer as a kind of summary of David's longer prayer. Or if you want to reverse that, you can use David's prayer as an expanded version of all that we want to say in the Lord's Prayer in praising God for his kingdom, his power, and his glory. And that's what I want to do. There, there may be no better way to end this series on the Lord's Prayer, and this sermon in particular, than by using these verses from 1 Chronicles 29 to lead us in prayer. And in these verses, we have all of the great themes that Jesus himself taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And so with that in mind, with the eyes of our heart toward heaven, would you join me as I lead us in prayer? And I'll be working line by line through David's prayer and then expanding upon it. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who saved Moses from the Nile, who rescued your people from Pharaoh, who forgave Aaron for the golden calf, who delivered Jericho into the hands of Joshua, the God who strengthened Samson and Gideon and Jael, the wife of Haber, the God who showed kindness to Ruth and made Ruth so kind, the God who cast down Eli and raised up Samuel, the God who rejected Saul and chose Jesse's son, the God who gave King David a heart like yours and gave Solomon wisdom when he prayed. The God of Elijah's guts and Elisha's miracles and Josiah's faithfulness. The God of Job's patience, Isaiah's prophecies and Jeremiah's lamentations. The God who sent Israel into Babylon and promised to bring them back. The God who promised that the valley of dry bones would live and the glory would re return to the temple the God who saved Daniel from the lion's den, the three men from the fiery furnace, and saved Gomer from herself, the God of John the Baptist's boldness and Paul's preaching and Stephen's courage, the God of Mary and Elizabeth, of Mary and Martha, of Joanna and Susanna, and of all the other godly women who love Jesus, the God of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and all the other men who failed at first, but followed Christ faithfully until the end. The God of the apostles and prophets, the saints and martyrs, the God of rebels and reformers, of Puritans and patriarchs, the God of slaves and of slaves set free, the God of electing love and second chances. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness the right to do as you please, the ability to do what you desire. Yours, O oh Lord, is the power, the never tiring strength to do anything and everything consistent with your character. Yours, O oh Lord, is the glory, not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be praise. Yours, O oh Lord, is the victory, the conquering power to subdue our pride, 
break our addictions, conquer our children's hearts. Yours, O Lord, is the majesty, a majesty more stately than any castle, more regal than any palace, more spectacular than any skyscraper. You are God and there is no other. All that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Every tree is your tree, every mountain, your mountain, every title and every deed on every house belong to you. Every retirement account belongs to you. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. You own the cars in all of our garages, in all of our driveways. It is all yours. You cannot be served by human hands as though you needed anything since you yourself give to all mankind life and breath and everything. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. You are the only king and head of the church. We give you the final say over everything. We put you at the center of all that we do in this church. Every sermon, every song, every prayer, every Sunday school, every baptism, every birth, every death, every marriage, every Sunday, every week, every year is for you that you would be exalted above all things. For both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. The clothes we have, you gave them to us. The food we eat is from your hand. The, the roof over our head, it is a gift. And to think that some of us have cottages and boats and fields and land and pools and televisions and libraries and smartphones and toys and video games and computers and vacations and money in the bank, what we have done to deserve all of this, we do not know. We have not deserved it. And some of us have received honors and recognition and awards and influence and prestige and notoriety. It is all from you. We have what we have, not because we are holier than others, but because you have blessed us so much more than we deserve. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. You raise up kings and you tear down kingdoms. You make presidents and you break them. You gift pastors and you take away their gifts. You bless churches and you close their doors. You prosper nations and you cause them to stumble. You alone can do all things and in you alone do we trust. Some trust in chariots, some trust in princes, some trust in the government, some trust in their savings, some trust in themselves, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. We thank you, Father, for choosing us, calling us, converting us, changing us, keeping us. We thank you, only begotten Son, for the mystery of your incarnation, for your humiliation, the love of your substitution, the victory of your resurrection, the glory of your exaltation. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us gifts to serve you, voices to praise you, hearts to love you, we thank you for all the joys of this life, friends, family, food, drink, work, music, games, art, travel, learning, play. We thank you most of all for the joy of life in Christ and the promise of life to come where we will have an end to sin and suffering and the beginning of our eternal praise to you and to the Lamb. And so we praise your great and glorious name our creator, redeemer, sustainer, our judge and deliverer, wonderful counselor and prince of peace, the way, the truth, and the life, our comforter, our sacrifice, our good shepherd, 
our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer and friend, we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we worship at your feet. And all God's people said, amen.